Welcome to the Motorcycle Vagabond Show. Today we are going to be discussing the age-old conversation of how do I get back on my bike after I fall off? And today we're going to be talking with Bruce. How are you doing? So Bruce, tell me how this got started, how the, the whole conversation about starting this podcast began. Well, I saw on uh, Facebook that you had asked what people would like to see in podcasts, and I asked the question how you got over some of your accidents that you've had. I know of your recent one, what, now a year and a half ago, two years ago? Where you yeah, year and a half. Dumped the bike, hadn't ended up having surgery, got run over, and I'm thinking, okay, that's wild. And then I got thinking about my three minor accidents and how the differences in those three minor accidents have affected me. And the latest one, which was two weeks ago, bothered me deeply. And I couldn't figure out why, what the difference was. So I really had to look deep to see what that difference was. So tell me about your three rack. First one was target fixation, I think is what they call it. I was in a group of riders started around a turn and got nervous as to where the other bikes were around me. And I was having troubles in my mind that day, staying focused on my ride anyway. And I eventually started looking at the edge of the road. And of course, where I was looking is where I went. As I got closer to the edge of the road, the finally the tires dropped off the edge of the asphalt down into a soft shoulder drop of about four to six inches. And the bike just, out from underneath me was gone. I rolled down the uh, asphalt, scared the living daylights out of my friends behind me, and uh, ended up with a torn spleen. Oh, how long oh, did yeah. that take to recover from? I was back on the bike within a month, doctor shaking how? his head. <laughs> okay, that wasn't really the question. How long before that actually healed? It took, I would say, six months to heal. It was by luck that we even found that the, the spleen was torn. The ambulance was ready to let me drive away. The bike was able to drive, but I decided to go in and just get checked over because I do have a lot of underlying conditions. I have diabetes, type 1 diabetes, so I have to be careful to make sure things are right so I don't get in worse messes. So when How we got old to- were you when this wreck happened, and how long ago was it? Uh, I do believe it was four to five years ago which would have put me, oh, it would have been four years ago because I turned 50 while I was in the hospital. Oh, fun. That's a great place to spend your birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) At least the bike was okay. (laughs) Yes, yeah, I had to put new mirrors on it, but that was about it. I've been very fortunate that way on all my accidents that the bike turned out a lot better than I did. uh, It was crazy. Uh, Spent a week in intensive care. Wasn't allowed out of the bed. Wasn't allowed to hang my feet over the edge of the bed. I wasn't allowed to do anything, really, uh, until it started to heal, and they were happy with that, and then they sent me home. That sounds pretty awful. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Let's that just means you leave couldn't get up that. to go to the bathroom, no showering. Nope. nope. No doing anything for yourself. Sponge bath in the bed. I did it myself, but that was about it. Yeah. Everything everything had to be done. I had to buzz the buzzer to bring in a nurse, and I tried not to do that too much because I know they're busy anyway. But where I was, I was in between total intensive care and being in the general public where one nurse only had two patients. That was it. Then I was That's one of so those That's not so bad. Patients. 
No, it gives you a pretty good coverage, let me tell you. And you're very fortunate to have that good coverage since you're Canadian, right? Yeah, yeah. The cost of it for me is in my taxes anyway. So there's no extra cost when I'm done at the hospitals, which is extremely to my advantage because I'm in the medical system quite a bit with the diabetes. So tell me about your second wreck. That one, that one made me angry because I was pulling out of a driveway, had got across two lanes of traffic and was going into my own lane when a woman come out of a person, well, just, I shouldn't have said woman, I should have said person, come out of their driveway and hit me head on. I had enough time to see them coming, come onto the brakes, got stopped and was sitting there straight up. And she never saw me until after she hit me. And I'm wearing full high-vis gear and a full-face helmet that's high-vis. High the jacket's high-vis. So, and I'm driving a Goldwing. How, how do you not see it? And the, the first thing out of her mouth was, where did you come from? And I thought, are you kidding? But that one made me angry. I, I was frustrated. The bike had to go in and get a few repairs done right back in the driveway I come out of because that was my mechanic's place. And it took about a week, and then I had the bike back, and I was off and going again. It was no time mentally at all. Both of, the, both of those two accidents, even the one I dumped the bike from target fixation, I learned that you've got to be in the right state of mind to be on a bike. And if you're not focused on the ride, don't ride. So tell me about your third rag, the most recent one. The most recent one... Traveling all day with friends, uh, they were leading. He's driving an intruder, and we come through an area that, at the last second, from behind a telephone pole, he noticed a pedestrian headed into a crosswalk. So he come onto the brakes, and I'm watching the intersection and everything else as your mind does, and your eyes are scanning. And I didn't notice the brake light come on. Next thing I knew, he was stopped in front of me. And I clipped him from behind on the right end of his bike, left of my bike. Tore his saddlebags off his bike. Tore the uh, floorboard for the passenger off the bike. Drove it into a cover that's over the gas tank. Smashed it all up. Tore my lower cowling off the goal. Or not off it, but smashed it and ended up just down the road about a, less than 100 yards with the bike still standing. I kept the bike upright. Something took over in my mind. That was not a conscious thing to try and avoid. I kind of contributed to, I've been doing for the last four years, every year, the advanced rider course that the Goldwing Riders Association offers free to the goal wing riders and it gives you avoidance and sharp turning training and I think that kind of kicked in and helped me avoid as much of that bike as I could and I sat there after I got stopped and my mind went to the worst possible place that it could have and said to me did you just kill your friends so you said earlier, before we started the show, that you've come to a conclusion that your mentality over these three wrecks, you've come to a new understanding of them. So tell me about your mentality after each wreck. Was it the excitement to get back on? And you said the second one was angry, but tell me the difference between the three. The, the first one was a more of a, I felt stupid. 
uh, my mind said, "You." I learned a lesson from that one where I had to just, if my mind's not on the ride, go home, get calmed down, get whatever you need to have your mind in the right place, and go drive and enjoy the ride. And so it really wasn't that bad. It, it scared the living daylights out of my friends where I watched me roll down the road, but it didn't bother me that much. It, it didn't affect me, didn't hurt me. I wanted back on the bike quick. And it, it was crazy. Uh, you know, it, most people looked at me and went, are you done biking? And it was like, are you kidding? Hell no. Second one was anger. Like, how did you not see me? And it just made me angry that she damaged my bike and it was going to be a couple of days before I could ride. Now, this third one, when that thought went through my mind that my actions of not being able to avoid them could have hurt them very badly, which nobody was seriously hurt, I couldn't get that out of my mind. And my first thought was, I'm done. I'm done with biking, I'm selling it all, and I'm done. So you went from blaming yourself to anger at someone else to, well, blame yourself for being dumb that affected yourself, and then and then being angry at someone else for making a mistake, to now making a mistake that could have hurt someone else, which plays more on your conscience. Oh, did it ever. It affected me deeply. I sat there after the accident waiting for my brother to show up to give us where I tore the floorboard off the back of the bike. The passenger couldn't stay on my friend's bike and the bikes had to go back to Halifax, which was two hours away. So waiting for my brother to show up, I began to shake physically. The, the mental game affected the body to the point that I, I was shaking and I couldn't figure out why, but it was just the shock of the whole thing that my mind kept playing on that. I could have hurt them. I could have hurt them. It wasn't, I could have hurt me. It was, I could have hurt them. And they kept looking at me going, Bruce, it was an accident. We fetched up really quickly, but I still felt the guilt, the anguish that had come along with it. So on your post, a few people offered up some advice. One person said they'd do soul-searching to figure out what went wrong and how they can avoid a similar scenarios. Yeah. Another one said that they reflect and, and do what they can to lower the chance of the same thing happening again. And then the third one was getting into classes. And you've already said that you take a class every year. Yeah. So it's not lack of training that's the problem. Maybe it is going to be a bit of soul-searching that you accept the mistake you made and that no one is hurt. Right. And you can, you got to stop playing that what if game. What if you would right. have? Well, you didn't. So I, I can see why there's a, a bigger hurdle for you to get over this time compared to the last two. It was strange. Um, and a big help for me was the friends. They've been huge in this. And I immediately admitted to fault. I immediately told them that I would repair their bike. Uh, we've already ordered all the parts. The owner of the other bike was very sorry that he didn't know how to work on a Goldwing and couldn't fix mine. But This sounds very Canadian. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, you got that right. Well, I stopped up fast, so 
I mean, that could have, you know, affected you. You might not have noticed it. Well, I still take full blame. And, and I don't have a problem with it anymore. It took me a couple of weeks. But we have, we're, we drive motorcycles. You drive a motorcycle. I drive a motorcycle. He drives a motorcycle. And with that, we have to accept the idea that we may be hurt desperately bad and we may hurt someone else you have to come to grips with that before you even get on the bike i think a big thing with being a rider though is that we all accept that we could be hurt and killed but it's not a really high chance that we're going to hurt someone else so it's kind of a selfish thing that like you know most people are okay with messing themselves up but messing someone else up causes a whole new level of guilt and regret that's actually a very good point. It really does affect it. Well, I can't say it does affects everyone. It affected me deeply. And I had to come with grips with that, that there is that chance when you're riding in a group or with another bike that that could happen. So what can I do to avoid it? I'll basically continue to do those classes when I can continue to learn new skills, which we all do. And maybe give myself that little bit extra distance where I was doing the the training says, you know, three seconds between bikes or two seconds, whatever it is, when you're riding staggered. I definitely had that. I had a little more than that. But I still was unable to completely avoid their bike. Just nothing I could do. How long have you been riding? I've been riding for the last eight years, nine years quite frequently i've had my license since i was 17 and i drove back then i drove probably six or seven years heavily and then i had a span where i had the children where i didn't ride bike at all for 20 years it's funny because in america we never call operating a motorcycle as driving Mm -hmm. we always make the distinction that we drive a car and we ride a motorcycle and I just wanted to point that out because I know there's going to be some listeners that are like, we don't drive motorcycles. <laughs> Call it what you want. It's the same thing, right? We are driving, right. riding. We're, we're operating a motorized vehicle, whether it's two wheels, four wheels, 18 wheels. You're, ride, you're, you're operating a vehicle. See, the difference that I've seen between you and the many conversations I've had about Rex from other people is that you're very self-aware of the things that you did wrong, what you, and you're consciously and actively trying to be a better rider. Most wrecks that I hear about, they own the bike for less than six months. They're hot rodding. They've never taken a class because, well, when you move, it stays up. So that means I can ride, right? (laughs) You know, they have this inflated ego that I'm fine. Just don't make me go less than 10 miles an hour and I'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, and, and let me just slam on the brakes before I hit any kind of a curve, because I, I can go 90 in a straight, but 35 in a, in a roundabout. Yeah. So you've not done any of those things wrong. And it's really good to see that there are conscious riders still out there that are doing the best to be the best rider they can be. Because, And at the end of the day, we have near wrecks on a regular. I mean, every time I go out riding, there's always going to be the car that could have pulled out in front of me, the car that could have changed lanes on me, the side of the road I could have gone off on, the everything that you are avoiding on a regular, and the skills prevent you from having those wrecks. They become near misses instead of actually wrecking. That's true. My brother tried to emphasize that, that 
he didn't think that there were too many bikers out there that could have missed him. They would have hit him. At what amount of collision it would have been, he thinks some with less training and less years of experience probably would have been right into him hard. Yeah, and a direct a, hit. A, a direct hit, and it could have been desperately bad for someone, whether it was probably them both or of you. Right? you know. Yeah, like, and his thinking was something took over in my mind, whether it was training, whether it was years of experience, whether it's just watching videos, whether it was whatever it was, took over and made a conscious attempt to avoid that bike. As they say, but, when you learn how to fight, if you're in any kind of martial art or sport like that, you do the same thing over and over again. So that way, when the situation comes that you don't have time to think, muscle memory kicks in. And yeah. it was probably muscle memory from your training and practicing on a regular basis that helped you avoid hitting him straight on. I think so. And that's helped me mentally. It makes me want to run right out and do another course, though, <laughs> to, to see what I could have done even more. But I don't know how much more I could have done. I really don't. Uh, like, I'm starting to come to grips with it that there wasn't a lot else I could have done. That's something in life that you have to learn is that you can do everything right or do nothing wrong and still fail. And it's yeah. one of the hardest life lessons in anything is yeah. to learn is to accept that you cannot have done anything wrong and still mess up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it the only be. thing that I see that's a risk is, is group writing. I find it to be a very high risk, yeah. but it sounds like you guys are very well behaved in your group in comparison to some that we've all seen. Yeah. And we're doing everything as properly as possible, giving space, trying to pay attention to traffic, you know, trying to be give everyone their area. You did what you could. We did what we could. That, that's all we can do. We even used the hand signals. Somebody, there's a, a car on the side of the road. One, you know, we're going to one one line of traffic. We're going to go by them carefully and then back to two. And then we're coming to a stop. The hand signals are all there. So we see them. Whether there's only two of us in the group or there's four or five. I don't like driving in bigger groups. We get into a group of three. I start to get a little nervous, and I will pull back, actually, from the bike in front of me even more so that if the guy behind me hits me, I'm not going to take out three or four bikes. I, I just don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling of there's somebody that close to me, and I've come to grips with that, and I deal with it by just giving a little more space. So I've had two wrecks myself. I yeah. wrecked in 2015. I was 23 years old. <laughs> and, and I've been riding consistently for about three years. And what happened is I was coming over a hill that was also an intersection and a, a truck pulled out blind oncoming and tried to cut across all four lanes of traffic. Wow. And I ended up hitting his rear panel and flying forward bouncing and I cracked a rib and I cut my right knee open, but no other injuries. You know, I walked out, everything turned out fine. And that reg, not my fault. He pulled out in front of me. I was braking as fast as I could, but he wasn't moving fast. There was nowhere to go because it would have been into oncoming, which was backed up for the intersection. Holy so crap. when I when I had that red, I was very excited to get back on a bike. It took me about a month to get another one in my hands. And that's when I chose my Victory Cross Country, the bike that mm -hmm. I finally left on a year later. 
the mentality for me was I was ready to get back on. And I, oh, and I had just taken a safety course the month before that wreck. I'd taken the motorcycle safety foundation course the month before that. So weird coincidence. I rode three years without the endorsement, which is what we call it in the States. Mm-hmm. Never had a problem, but then I got the class and I wrecked and I was like, oh man, this is awful. <laughs> so every time I take a class now, I'm like, am I going to wreck again? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it plays on your mind. But it was, I was excited to get back on the bike. And then when I got on the bike, I realized I had intersection anxiety that wasn't there before. And yeah. it's still with me five years later. Like I still have this. I get really nervous around areas where there could be a lot of cars pulling out. Especially mm-hmm. if they're blind, like, you know, there's a lot of bushes or buildings. But it's something that I have to deal with every day and just work on not being overly paranoid about it and keeping it okay, you know. And I also actively try to avoid those situations with high traffic and all those potentials as well. You know, it was kind of rush hour when I when that happened. And my second reg was a year and a half ago. I was going under the highway in california and i took it too fast the road was wet and i low sided i slid bike slid well i was i was actually i was sliding and then i decided that during the slide i realized my jacket had pulled up and my jeans were shredding so i tucked my arms and i rolled while i was rolling a car ran over both of my legs between my ankles and my knees and then another car ran over the bike if those two cars hadn't have hit both of us I would have picked up my bike and gone home. How does your mind deal with that, though? Like, what what did your mind do to you? I had a lot of guilt that it was my fault. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I was probably picking out my bike before I even stopped moving. I was like, oh, look, this is an opportunity to get another motorcycle. And I guess that one, I have anxiety from that one now. I am very much more cautious in sweeping curves or getting on the interstate, especially if it's raining. I get I get pretty anxious about it. And all I can do is to keep practicing and keep learning new skills, making sure my tires are in good shape, that they're you yeah. know good for the conditions. It's an everyday struggle. I have a question for you. On that accident with the rain, had the rain just started within the last, let's say, 20 minutes of when you arrived there? It was a light sprinkle that I'd been, I think had been going on for about an hour. And it was okay. 6.30 in the morning, so not a lot of traffic at the time. But the water is mixing up with the oils that have been dripped out of vehicles and caused an almost like an ice condition. It's it's slippery as ice. I think it was a lot of things. I think I was overconfident and took that highway entrance too fast. I didn't know it, and it was a hard right turn. So instead of just sweeping under the highway, it actually did a hard right 90. So I was already overleaning to get overcompensated for it. Yeah. So I made a lot of mistakes and I know I made those mistakes. So I now do my best not to have that happen again. It's just, it's another thing that I had happen was in Colorado. It was cold. I'd gotten hailed on. I was coming off the mountains and there was a flat road and I wasn't far away from my destination and I was just miserable. So I was tucked behind my windshield and I was following a car and I was at okay distance behind, but not far enough for the conditions. And at 55 miles an hour, the car in front of me finally braked because two cars in front of them had been braking and they were going to do a left turn. Uh, there was one car oncoming. I didn't see it in time. There was no way I could brake without sliding. So I split between the oncoming car, which I didn't know that there was a car turning left at the time. The car came forward. I missed the rear end of the, the car that braked in front of me. And then the car turned left in front of me. Holy crap. And if it wasn't for how much I ride, 
in the classes that I've taken, I would have hit that car. I would have T-boned them. But I, I hard leaned to the right, got around them, and then had to change my pants. But ever <laughs> since that, <laughs> but ever since that incident, I now keep a gracious amount of space between me and the next vehicle when it's raining. Yeah, yeah. The last rainstorm that this other couple that I clipped, we got caught in. There was it not only doubled, but it probably tripled or even quadrupled the space between bike in the rain. We really oh, got. Yeah, we gapped them quite heavily when in the rain. So as humans, we're really only a bundle of the experiences that we've had and the lessons yeah. we learned from them. Yeah. So, you know, my lessons of don't follow too closely behind a vehicle in the rain, someone else doesn't even make in consideration of because that mistake was never one that they made. Yeah. But, you know, maybe they mess up somewhere else and I'm like, I've never had that problem. So I, I think it's just the, the best advice that was given on that post and that I could give is just soul searching. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. And, and accepting and soul... that it happened. That's another yes, one. Yes, that's another one. That's a big one. Um, accepting that it happened, accepting that it can happen again, no matter how hard you try to uh, avoid it, it still can happen again. It's just that simple. If you're going to ride with another bike with you, if you're in the lead, and you choose to do the, the stop, it could happen again. That's part of learning how to do emergency stops and avoidance. It's a lot of being aware where you're riding, what you're riding too. So I ride in other countries, and they don't function like we do here in North America. Well, the U.S. <laughs> and Canada. Yeah. There is no one following the rules there, and you become a, a much more offensive rider that way. Yeah. But... I'm used to riding small bikes now. I have a DR350. My last bike was a Honda CP500X. I'm light. I can brake fast. Yeah. On yeah, my I'm DR, I can also go over things. So yeah. I have a lot less stresses about the bike being capable of going over, you know, a possum or a raccoon. Compared to when I ride with my boyfriend now, I am a, sometimes I go in the back of his bike to go get dinner or whatever. And his riding style gives me anxiety because I'm now on a big <laughs> bike again that yeah. I know can't stop like I can. Yeah. And I, I find that I have to not actually pay attention to, to the rider I'm behind if I'm a passenger. How hard is that on the mental game to go from being in control to giving control to someone else and getting on the back of their bike? Oh, it is so hard. For one, as a rider of my own, well, whether it's male or female, we get used to being in control of the decisions made right. and the confidence that we're going to make them in. We know our skill levels. We know what to do with the bikes that we ride. We know how they handle. And then to give up all of that confidence in the situation that you're usually in to go on someone else's bike, especially going from a 300-pound dual sport to a 900-pound Harley, I, I just can't pay attention to the road. I play on my phone most of the time. Interesting. Because the anxiety is so bad. Interesting. It's it's crazy. I never really expected that to happen, and it's actually only a pretty new development that I've gotten so bad with it. I know he's a very competent writer. He used to teach on the Army base, the MSF course. He's done a lot of classes. He's a really good writer. He keeps his bike in tip-top shape, but yeah. none of that seems to help me. And the, this is not my riding style. This is not my kind of bike. We're, we're a heavy mass now, and so I just don't watch. The heavy mass is a big thing. Like I'm driving a Goldwing, so it's a GL1800. It's a big bike. It's got a bigger motor in it than my car does. So I'm sitting on a large amount of power. 
and it it you have to be careful. You've got to be careful when you come onto that throttle that you don't over throttle it, or that back tire is going in front of the front tire, and you're looking in the wrong direction then. Yeah, and just the amount of braking power and time it takes to get a big mass with momentum to stop. Yeah, I'm aware of those things, and that's what gives me anxiety. Even though I used to ride a Victory Cross Country. If I was in control of the machine, I wouldn't have the anxiety. That's interesting. I wondered that. As soon as you mentioned uh-huh. you were getting on the back of a bike, I thought, yeah, that's going to be interesting. I've ridden with him a few times over the last three years of our friendship. And I've ridden for, with a few other friends. And my rule with riding behind someone, and you would think that as an independent rider, I wouldn't ride with, with someone else. But it's really nice to sometimes enjoy getting to look around mm-hmm. and not have to be focused on the road. And my, yeah. my rule is you have to be an equivalent or better rider than me. That makes sense. That's a good good way of doing it. And I'm not saying that I'm the best rider on the planet, but I, I'm pretty confident after the last 80,000 miles over the last four <laughs> years. I've been on the bike a lot. Yeah, yeah. And that makes sense. It really does, actually. So do you have – you mentioned that you have a little anxiety about going through intersections understandably after your accident do you have other anxieties after your accidents or is it basically you you feel confident and you go i think it's a bit of a nihilistic attitude that i have these days is that if it's going to happen it's going to happen and i don't care because i want to ride anyways in my opinion i have the same sort of attitude and i think that you have to as a biker or someone that rides drives or whatever you want to call it If you're on a bike, you've got to have a mentality of, if something happens to me, I'm okay with that. That's where I got caught in this latest accident. It wasn't just me. I could have took them out. And I had to rework all my thinking and think, they've taken that conscious thought too. And, And they have accepted the possibility that they could be injured badly. So this is something that actually is a good conversation. Mental preparedness. Wow. Some people are not mentally prepared for every outcome because they don't think about every possible outcome. Many people don't consider the fact they could hurt someone else on a motorcycle. It's always, am I okay if I get hurt? Right. And this is, I have a story. So I know a guy, he was in the military and he was reserves. He got deployed during one of the combats that we had with another country. Mm-hmm. and they didn't prepare him for it. He did not have the training for it because he was reserves, but he had to go anyways. He then went active because if you go active, they, they, they give you the training to be prepared for those situations. All of his now, you know, 20 years after this happened, all the issues he tends to have with his PTSD results to the fact that he was not physically or mentally prepared for what he was put into. So the wow. mental preparedness of just about everything you do is very important being aware of every potential thing that could go wrong and knowing how you're going to react as a person and then knowing the potential of it being there. That's, that's a good point. I think that I was aware that there was a possibility in a group that I could injure someone else, but I didn't think about it enough. I didn't prepare my mind for that possibility until it happened. And luckily nobody was hurt. I think that shock of not being ready for it is one of the hardest things. You know, as a traveler, I have a lot of time to think. And I've thought about all those scenarios where 
if war comes to my soil, if, if my country falls apart, you know, you, you get your doomsday ideas and you think through them and you're like, what would I do? You know, I've already got gear to be self-sufficient. Where would I get gas? And you're like, okay, so now I'm mentally prepared for the situation. If it ever does happen, I'd never thought about it being a virus. And let me tell you, yeah. it's been a lot harder dealing with COVID-19 as a traveler than it would have been if there was gunshots everywhere. Cause I already had thought about that. Yeah. I know what you mean. Cause here I am sitting in the next province is similar to state and I can't go see my grandson. I've never met him. He's three months old. He's less than five hours away from me and I can't go see him. I can't see my kids. I can't go see my 93 year old father because the borders are closed between provinces. It's driving me nuts. I was not prepared for that. I don't think any of us was prepared for the restriction of movement because of an unseen enemy. Yeah. Right now, as of this moment, I should have been in Maine, you know, the USA, Maine, USA, heading for the Blue Ridge Parkway. And that's that's gone for this year. It, it's totally gone. And it may be gone for next year, too. You know, everyone... Happens. Even people of regular situations, they were prepared for losing their job. They were prepared for wrecking their car, but to be unable to go to work yeah, because of an outside force you can't do anything about. I think a lot of people are feeling powerless. Yeah. And that's the same feeling you get on a motorcycle when you have a situation that you didn't think about and you weren't ready for. You feel powerless. Yeah, you really do. Your mind has to come to grips with that. And it has to be okay with that. And I was on the bike after getting my fork seals repaired, which was a separate issue from the accident. I was on the bike Friday night and Thursday night, I guess it was. And for the first half hour, I didn't even notice it until my my arms from the elbow down had gone numb. I was gripping the handlebars so hard that I had to I had to slow down and I had to let go and let go of the anxiety and just enjoy the ride. But it took me a half hour to get to that point where I was conscious enough to understand that I was doing it and how to fix that. I've the had rest- that same issue being on a motorcycle and being on wet off-road mm-hmm. because my off-road skills, I know my skills are lacking. I need to take classes. I need to learn more. And I get this tense body, like my lower back is tensed up. My arms are tensed up. My hands are yeah. just trying to crush the handlebars and I realized that that's going to be more detrimental to my riding. Yeah. And, but you don't really think about your physical reaction to your mentality until you start feeling tired or achy from it. Yeah. It's wild, isn't it? Well, being tense will even reduce your reaction speeds, but you still have that human reaction of tensing up. Yeah. It's wild. We're both pretty lucky. I had to have a surgery after my second wreck to replace my MCL, which put me six weeks on crutches, watching oh. my left leg deteriorate, be half the size of my right leg, and then not being able to do anything with my bike. You know, I always figured if I got hurt, I could still ride. I just ride through the pain, ride through the injury. But now I can't. My, it was my left leg, and I'm a, I'm a kickstart, and that's my shifting leg, and I can't do anything with my knee. Yeah. Which gave me some new issues of like, you know, there's things worse than death, at least to me, is, and that's being alive and unable to ride. I was miserable for that six weeks. Absolutely miserable. I remember that happening to you, and I kind of sensed you were, it was struggle. It was a struggle for you, wasn't it? It was one of the biggest challenges of my life, maintaining 
at least a semi-okay attitude that six weeks. Like I, that's when I took on bunker biker. I was like, I need something to do. I need something to keep me busy, something to focus on while I'm down. Uh, I have a friend. She wrecked at 20 miles an hour. She now has permanent spinal damage, brain damage, vertigo, the wow. shakes, migraines from a 20 mile an hour wreck. She had another wreck a few years later and at 90 miles an hour and all she did was break her ankle. So talk about the mentality issues of getting over those two things. You'd think going slow would be safer because every time you go fast, you're like, oh man, I, this, this is really dangerous. But it was her slow wreck and I hear it often enough that the slow wrecks are the most dangerous ones. You bounce and flip and, and whatnot, but then having to get over the fact that you now have permanent body damage. Yeah. That affects your riding. She can't ride some days because of that brain. Wow. So it's it's not really a game of hierarchical, which is a big thing I talk about these days, and I, I will be bringing up more. Everyone thinks that everything's hierarchical. It's about leveling at one, two, three, four, but it's lateral. So just because her wreck is worse than, you know, overall sounds worse, she's physically damaged and total the bike and all these things, doesn't mean our struggles aren't legit as well they aren't just as much of a problem for us so i'm not doing this as a comparison game it's more of just uh be aware that there could be other things that could happen yeah and that's a big part of it i I mean understanding that even my little fender bender which ended up doing a thousand dollars damage to his bike and doing probably three four hundred dollars to my bike it could have been so much worse in understanding that understanding how to avoid it again is part of the game. And that's what keeps me riding. And I've decided to continue riding and I'm going to get back on and I'm going to ride and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm glad to hear that. Cause when you made that comment a few weeks ago, when I was asking for content for the podcast, you were considering like, Hey, is it time to hang up? I don't know, but it's a thought right now. Oh yeah. I was pretty much there. Uh, I was ready to hang it all up. And it took a while to, to come to grips with it and say, no, I'm not ready to hang it all up. I still have some writing I want to do. I still have some trips I want to make. I still enjoy it. So I need to get back on. You're talking about going to the Blue Ridge this year. I'm yeah. going to be up in Maine, I think, in early July. And I'm really hoping the Canadian border is going to be open because I would love to go to Nova Scotia. It's an amazing province. The Maritimes are amazing. Each province has... There are items that are beautiful. New Brunswick is some beautiful spots. I lived there for 40, I don't know how many years. And I've been here for seven in Nova Scotia. And wow, we have some beautiful riding here. Some beautiful twisty, turny roads that are just fun. I don't know well, how else. Well, hopefully it's a potential. Yeah, but I, I'm a little worried about the border is going to be closed for some time yet. It's... On a separate issue, I think that's going to destroy Canadian tourism. They need to be open so people can spend money. Otherwise, the economy is not going to be doing very well. Yeah, the economy is not doing very well right now, to be very honest. All right. Well, I think on the subject of wrecks, we've just about covered a variety of information about it and advice that we've both given. The one other piece of advice that I would give to other riders, and I have an issue where I need to talk things through. And that's huge. You do need to talk things through. Don't bottle it up. Find somebody that you can talk to openly and talk to them. Tell them how you're feeling. Tell them what's going on in your mind. 
I'm going to add on to this and say, don't talk to an on rider. No. And don't even talk right. to a weekend warrior. If you're, if you're a hardcore rider, find yeah. another hardcore rider who understands your insane, extreme love for motorcycles because a not rider will guilt you more. You knew it was dangerous. You knew you shouldn't be doing this. They don't understand the love of the, the wind and your knees and the breeze and the two wheels. So talk to someone who also shares your same passion. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, it's been interesting. And then and, and this has actually been helpful because it forced me to think, what am I going to say? What went through my mind? What did I do that I could have done differently? And I'm not sure there's a whole lot that I could have done. You know, I, I have friends that I use as sounding boards, you know, various things that I need to talk about. I'll call them up and be like, hey, th these are my ideas. This is what I'm going through because I know they're going to understand. And to say it out loud makes the connection, makes the thoughts more, they can, uh, they, they connect better. You connect yes. the thoughts better when you say it out loud. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It really does help the process. So that is a very solid piece of advice you gave. Well, thank you. It's just my experience. For me, I need to talk it through. I need to find somebody that understands and will listen to me and can say, yes, you had an accident, but you have a love for biking. You can't give that up. And then that person was both the couple I ran into as well as my brother and his wife. They know my love, my passion for riding and how much therapy it is for me mentally. It's really good that you have a good support system around you. Yeah, it for is. This. Some yep. people are alone riders and they don't know anyone. So if you listen to this podcast and you need someone to talk to, I'm here. I'll talk to I'm anyone. Here. I'll, I, I agree with that. I'll do the same. You know, if, so. if I could do anything to help someone who's been through a wreck, you know, if they just need to talk to talk about it and talk out their anxiety and have me remind them that motorcycles are awesome. Oh, that would, you know, that'd make my day. <laughs> I totally get where you're coming from. And, and this was a help. Just making this podcast was a help. I'm glad it was. And I really hope it helps someone else who listens to this. I hope the same thing. Thank you. Well, for it was really the good talking to you. To yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to chat. It was a really good show and I hope it's I, I really do deep down hope that this helps other people I haven't decided what to call it yet though <laughs> the mental game of riding a bike the mental game of riding again ah even better <laughs> all right Bruce you have a good day you as well take care <laughs> I hope to finally get to meet you someday Z I really do maybe it'll be this year who knows who knows take care <laughs> right. Z bye bye